On episode number 35 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast, I'm speaking with Julia Worrell on airway health and sleep. There's good reason why Julia, aka the sleep RN, is asked to speak at conferences, high-level meetings and be interviewed for popular medical podcasts all over the world. This highly sought-after expert in sleep and airway health has quickly risen to the top of her field by connecting what was once thought to be disconnected. The result has changed lives and revolutionized medical practices around the world. As a passionate airway advocate and mentor, Julia continues to march forward on her mission to drive innovation, research, proclaiming the importance of treating sleep to manage or better yet, prevent disease by creating area-specific education, testing and treatment options for unique populations. In this episode, we speak about how to actually assess if your airway health is optimal, what are the ways to recognize, what are the tools that you can use in case you have compromised airway health, What are the dangers of mouth breathing? What are the benefits of nasal breathing? And whole lot more. This is a power-packed episode. And we're coming very close to World Sleep Day 2021. On the next episode, it will be a World Sleep Day special retrospective. Stay tuned for that. And another 5-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts titled Comprehensive and Holistic. This podcast presents a holistic approach to improve the sleeping habit. Each podcast topic takes a specific component of our daily lifestyle and presents a deep and comprehensive analysis of the positive or undesirable impact of that component on our sleeping habits. Coupled with the interviews from the professional guests who share their Incisive Insights makes for an even more compelling listening experience. This podcast is a must listen for anyone wanting to say I had a good night's sleep. Highly recommended. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Julia, it's great to have you on the Sleep Whisperer podcast today. And uh, this is a topic that um, I think a lot of people really need to listen to. We're talking about airway health. And for uh, those who don't know, we will talk about what is airway health 
overall and you've actually become very popular and you've risen to the top of this field and I'd like to actually know what got you so passionate about sleep and how did you uh, end up being called the airway advocate? Thank you so much for having me on your program. Um, I started out my career in psychiatry and I noticed that many, many people with mental health issues really struggled with sleep. They would sleep all day. They'd be up all night. You know, it was a, a chronic issue, uh, but it never occurred to me that that could be contributing to their problems. Um, so I never, yeah, I never thought about the sleep problem being a sign or contributing factor to the mental health. Then I went into emergency medicine and acute care. Mm. And I, you know, all through my career, I wondered why do some people end up with diabetes, um, high blood pressure, you know, metabolic syndromes? Why do some people fare worse than others? Why would some people, for example, get lung cancer and they never smoked a day in their life? You know, different things like that. You're always wondering why when you're in the medical field, right? Yes. On a personal level at the same time, though, I was struggling. I was diagnosed with sleep apnea. Oh. Um, when I was 17, I had had uh, orthognathic surgery done. And so they moved my jaw. I had an underbite and they moved my jaw back about seven millimeters. And I started having issues. I started struggling with my weight. I started struggling with sleep, with headaches, with all of these things. And it took until I was about 40 to get diagnosed with sleep apnea. Um, and so I was on a CPAP. I was wearing a CPAP, but I was still tired. And I wondered, what, what am I supposed to do from here? Mm. I started getting really bad headaches. So when I started actually going to help out a dentist, he was an oral surgeon. I was sitting in the office and I saw a poster on the wall and the poster said, ask your dentist about sleep apnea. And as a ER nurse, I was like, why would I ever go to a dentist for a medical issue? It didn't, I didn't understand the connection. So when I went and asked about that, they explained to me this concept of the, the jaw thrust maneuver, we call it in medicine, right? So you take the jaw, you move it forward a few millimeters. Now you've opened the airway, you can squeeze the bag and the air goes in. And they said that they made these devices that move the jaw forward so that the person could have air going in during the night. And I was just like, what? How did I never know about that? I never knew that there was an alternative to CPAP it made total sense to me. And so I started questioning if I didn't know that in all my years of schooling and all the courses I took, if I didn't understand that connection, what else didn't I know? So I started taking all these courses and came to realize that the structure of the face has a lot to do with your ability to sleep. And that, that just blew my mind. So I was really hungry for more information and searched wherever I could and realized the world needs to have more of this information brought to the fore because we're suffering needlessly. 
I'm just so scared listening to what you said, Julia, because my son has actually been told to have um, uh, to wear um, a jaw brace to push the chin back because of the overbite. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, as a mother, I never knew about this. So you've actually opened my eyes. And I think I'm deeply grateful to get this information from you today, because it's also going to support me personally beyond our listeners. Um, but what exactly, I mean, when you say airway advocate, what is airway health? So let's just break that down yeah. for our listeners. So. Again, as a medical provider, when I thought about breathing, I only thought about it from basically the trachea down. I would take my stethoscope and I would listen to the mm -hmm. chest. I would tell the person, breathe in, breathe out. And I would look and count how many times you were breathing. And that is our standard respiratory assessment. I never thought about conduit, the structure that brings that oxygen into the lungs and to the brain. And that is our nose and our mouth. So when I talk about airway health and I'm an airway advocate, what that means is I advocate no medical provider does anything that would impact the airway, that would encroach upon that airway space. Oh. So for, mm. Yeah, so for example, with your son, um, the fact that it may look like the bottom jaw is the issue, but the bottom jaw is where it needs to be for his tongue to fit his tongue. Mm. If you push that bottom jaw back, where is the tongue going to go? Oh. There's only a certain amount of space back there. Wow. So the bigger issue for your son is up here. It's his maxilla. Mm. And why would the maxilla not grow or develop at the same rate as the lower jaw? Likely, it's because he's not using his nose to breathe most of the time. And his tongue is not up in the roof of his mouth. If his tongue was sitting up in the roof of his mouth, then every time he swallowed, it would help to mold and bring the maxilla forward. Mm. So the, as soon as you put a headgear or something restricting that lower jaw, you will create sleep apnea for that person um, later. So that's where we talk about airway health. The health of the airway is important. Is the nose open? Can they breathe adequately through their nose? What might be the contributing factors that prevent him from breathing through his nose? Um, th this is what you want to focus on, mm. not... Uh, so, but Julia, what would you tell somebody who was told that their chin is coming out and they do need to wear something to prevent that? Would you suggest that they not do such a thing? Because we do hear a lot of people being told to do this. That is a mistake. And that is based on old practice. Hmm. Okay, so that is what has been done historically. Uh, but over here in, in this side of the world, there are so many lawsuits coming as children have grown up, adults made a decision for them when they were a child. Mm. And that decision has impacted the rest of their life. So thinking about the size of a child's airway, you figure a straw, 
you know, like a little straw, a few millimeters around. They have tiny, tiny airways. Mm. When you push that jaw back, the soft tissue has nowhere to go. The airway collapses, the tongue takes over that space. And when we go to sleep and everything relaxes, that compresses. So they will not get enough oxygen to the brain, to the body to really thrive. They, you know, um, they may do okay, but they won't do as great as they could have done. So it's thinking about the airway. And, and this has been the challenge. This is why I, um, you know, became the airway advocate because I would have a conversation with a mom like you who would go back to their provider and say, this nurse told me that, you know, you're going to affect the airway. And they would say, that's ridiculous. I'm not going to do that. Because as healthcare providers, for us to change our mind about something that we've done, that has been our paradigm for a number of years, to be questioned on that. I know even personally, I laid awake in bed many nights thinking about all the people that I led to believe there was nothing wrong with them. Mm. And now all of a sudden you realize there's this huge piece that we missed and we have impacted people's lives. But the, the, the plan cannot be just to keep doing what you've always done. We have to be able to speak about it and change that. Think about the structure. Think about how it's affecting the person and why these facial structures are developing in the first place. Why are we having this disparity between the lower jaw and the upper jaw? What's caused it? And in the past, people would say, well, you inherited um, your father's teeth and your mother's jaw. And so that's why your teeth are all crowded. Yeah. Well, that may have been an easy explanation, if not based on scientific fact. That's not what happens, right? So it's, it's just helping people to have the courage to change the way they've always done things. Beautiful, Julia. And when you mentioned that pushing the jaw back actually has repercussions in uh, development of sleep apnea later, I'm also thinking that if children were told to do uh, this pushing the jaw back, it can also create um, challenges like focus, attention, ADHD, learning challenges because you're impacting Absolutely. oxygenation. And that's a, that's a big field as well because the rate of ADHD is rising rapidly all over the world. So there's so many interconnected pieces. And today I just feel like I'm having a Eureka moment. And in fact, Julia, I must share that I've been scolding my son every night because he doesn't wear the chin guard. And now I just feel so relieved that he intuitively chose not to do so. Uh, he just said that I don't feel like it makes me so uncomfortable and he just refused to do it. Um, and I feel uh, as if you're validating him to some extent. So I will, I definitely want to reach out to you to get a little bit more help later for him, but we'll talk about that offline. Um, so you do speak about the face as the conduit for good sleep. So let's talk about that. So I know that you've mentioned the structure of the face, but maybe you could just tell us a little bit more about how does this actually impact sleep? Is it 
Uh, is it impacted quickly? Does it take years and years for such things to impact sleep? How does that play out? Well, we could go right to when the baby is developing in the mother. Mm. If the mother has poor sleep, if the mother has sleep apnea, and maybe she didn't when she got pregnant, but at the second and third trimester, when her fluids increase by a third, the weight of the baby, she puts on weight. Uh, a lot of mothers end up with some snoring or difficulty sleeping, fragmented sleep. Yeah. All of these things impact that developing baby. Yes. So right away, that baby is born with less muscle tone in mm -hmm. the face and mm -hmm. might have trouble sucking. Right. So now we have a baby, right? Mm. We have a baby who's born and they say, oh, it's a lazy feeder. You know, oh, you got to wake her up, get her go, you know. Um, not understanding why the baby is struggling to have a good latch. So that's one issue. Uh, we see tongue ties. You know, are we addressing a tongue tie in a baby so that it can get a good latch and that tongue has good free movement because the tongue is going to form the face? Mm. Are we breastfeeding? Or are we switching to bottle feeding? Are we giving a pacifier? All of these things change the way the muscles are developing. And we know that muscle pulls on the bone to strengthen the bone. So if they're not latching on the breast, if they're not sucking and having to work for that, they're not developing the jaw, uh, the sphenoid bone, the maxilla, the mandible, all of this area that is crucial for having a good, strong, toned upper airway. Uh, the other thing is that babies are born as obligate nose breathers. So are they able to maintain that nostril breathing throughout their childhood, throughout their life, or what types of things start to impact it? Um, and believe it or not, even though India is a very sunny place, there are record levels of people with vitamin D deficiency. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. So when you have vitamin D deficiency, now you have engorgement of the, the tonsils and adenoids and all of that tissue, in addition to all the other things that it causes, but that can start to make the child um, be allergic, you know, or have like a um, runny nose. And, and we see some of these kids that end up now mouth breathing because their nose is always stuffy. Yes. Instead of looking at why are they reactive, you know, and, and addressing that. So all of these things start to affect the way that the sinuses work, the way the nose develops, the way the upper and lower jaw develops, and the tone of the tongue as a muscle to function against the forces of the cheeks and the lips to really carve out that space for your teeth and for your airway. And I'm also thinking because you mentioned vitamin D, I also come across a lot of people where there's omega-3 challenges and then they're prone to glymphatic congestion and they're actually having issues with sinus building up. And then, of course, they're naturally breathing through the mouth. So, so many things involve lack of exercise for um, kids and adults, which cause the same congestion. Um, but how can somebody actually know 
what's the status of the airway health what is i mean you speak about this structure and specific musculature and bone but where does somebody need to go to understand this where can someone actually know what's going on with the airway health it's true i you know when people reach out to me for sleep i think they're always uh, they always kind of giggle when i start first by taking a picture of their face and first thing we start to look for is um, asymmetries. You know, are their eyes equal? Do their ears line up with their nose? We do an assessment of the nose. Um, sometimes we'll tape the mouth and see if they can go for two to three minutes breathing just through their nose or do they start to feel anxious? Mm -hmm. uh, we look at their mouth and when they smile at the corners, do they have black corners, you know, dark shadowed corners because their maxilla does not fill the space of their smile. Uh -huh. So we look at that. Are their teeth crowded or is there lots of room for the teeth? Have they had any teeth extracted? Uh, we look at the maxilla, the palate of the mouth. Does it look like it has enough space for the tongue to fit up into there? Or is it high and vaulted? Sometimes you see people who have sucked their thumb and it had, the thumb has shaped the maxilla. Yeah. So that's going to be a problem for them, right? Um, we look at the tongue. Is the tongue scalloped? Does it have an impression of the teeth along the edge? Mm. Uh, because that's a good sign. Eight, 80 to 90% of people that have a scalloped tongue have sleep apnea because mm. the tongue doesn't have enough space. It's pressing up against the teeth. So what happens when they go to sleep? It falls back, right? Right. To get them to open the mouth and can they see the back of their throat or does their tongue take up all the space so if your tongue is taking up all the space in your mouth during the daytime while you're upright while you're protecting your airway what do you think happens when you go to sleep and you get into that nice deep sleep where everything relaxes absolutely all gonna fall into that space and Julia, you know, this reminds me of an episode I did with uh, my friend, Dr. Vaishnavi Sarathi, who focuses on learning challenges. And she mentioned how many kids who have autism and ADHD actually have sleep apnea. Um, and a lot of kids with um, autism or cerebral palsy because there's no muscle tone. So there's natural sleep apnea that happens because the tongue falls back. And she mentioned something as simple as a magnesium supplement, which works for everybody else, actually makes it worse for children like that because it's relaxing the tongue excessively and uh, they're not able to control or even express so, so much. I mean, how would one think yeah. that our one face and this, the oral cavity has so much going on within that and which is linked to every other aspect. And if you're not sleeping, it means it's going to impact every other part of your health. So I think this is deeply important work that you're doing. I want to applaud you for that, Julia. And um, so let's talk a little bit about, you did mention to me that I can teach a few simple tools for people to know how can they actually assess these things. So can you tell us a little bit about how can somebody assess their airway health? Yeah, and I think some of the things I just mentioned. You mentioned right? So yes. get a yes, get a mirror, 
look at your face. If you look under your eyes, do you have venous pooling? You know, when you look at your children, when they're tired, you can see it in their eyes, correct? Yes. So we're looking here to see um, how does that look? We look at the nose. Is the nose straight or is there a deviation in the nose? Mm. A deviation in the nose is a good indicator that the maxilla is vaulted. If the maxilla it goes up, there's no place for the um, septum of the nose to go. So it buckles. So when you start to expand the maxilla, you'll see the nose will straighten out. Um, so that'll be an issue because if they can't breathe through both sides of their nose, they may start and fall asleep breathing through one side but then you, you cycle the breath through your yes. nose, right? Yes. So when yes. you switch over to the other side, the mouth's gonna pop open. Mm. So we wanna make sure both sides of the nose are functioning. Um, I would, and then again, we're gonna look inside. We're gonna look at our teeth. Uh, are there any um, wear signs that we are grinding or bruxing our teeth? Are there any what we call attrition, where there's a little bit of a chipping away of the tooth up at the gum line? That could also indicate that there's some grinding going on, some clenching going on. While we're sleeping, the brain struggles and its only purpose is to keep us alive during that time. So what types of activities are happening while we're sleeping? And do other people comment to us that we're snoring or that we wake up gasping? or that they hear us grinding or clenching, right? Yes. Um, are our teeth crooked or is there lots of space? One of the things that has been a disaster for so many people is they had crowded teeth, they went to a dentist, the dentist pulled out some teeth and then put braces on and gave them a beautiful smile. Unfortunately, they closed in their airway. And Aww. so that becomes a problem later on in life, right? Mm. Um, we're doing the Malampati score, which I show uh, was saying about when you look in the mirror, open your mouth, how high up does your tongue sit? Then take your tongue, put the tip to the roof of your mouth and open up your jaw. How far can you open it? Good, you have good function. But for some people, you'll see they have a restriction. Mm. There'll be a, a, a piece of skin there, a frenulum that is tethering their tongue down. And so either by doing exercises or by having a quick little surgery to cut that space to allow that tongue to do its job. So I think, you know, with the ones I mentioned before and these ones, you will have a pretty good idea. And once you get used to looking for these things, you're going to see them in everybody. Um, You'll notice even with lips, you know, is the lip tight? Like, is it a tiny, skinny little lip that is not getting much flow? Is the bottom lip getting bigger and bigger because the muscle is getting more and more lax? Mm. When somebody closes their lips, do you see a dimpling on their chin? Because the muscle is straining so much to keep those lips closed. So then as you work on these things, you'll see the face will start to change. So you mentioned, guess, uh, you know, yes, go ahead. I was just going to say that, you know, every other system in the body, we understand that it's a system that works cohesively with many organs. Yes. But when it comes to sleep, we act like sleep is independent of the rest of the I body. I know, right? I know. And, and it, 
not. Yes. I know. Yes. Yeah. And Julia, you mentioned how um, when somebody has a deviated septum and then they, when the breath keeps switching between the nostrils at one point, when they get to the tighter one, then the mouth opens up. Um, and uh, it's interesting because in yoga, there's an entire science of the breath with the right nostril, left nostril. And then there's the whole aspect of if one is blocked, uh, because it does relate to the brain function, right brain, left brain. So what's that going to be affected if you're having less oxygenation through one nostril? But um, I don't know if you've ever heard or on your travels to India, if you've come across because the age old ancient therapy to help a deviated septum is the thread through the sutraneti where the rubber catheter is inserted into the nostril and they use it to get the deviate. Have you ever come across the sutraneti? That sounds amazing. I must show it to you on another call and uh, take you through how to actually use it because that's how the yogis of uh, ancient uh, Eastern wisdom used to correct a deviated septum because there was such a science of the breath. Uh, so we, yes. we should talk about that later. Um, so let's go a little bit about, I know you mentioned um, mouth breathing, the mouth opens up, and I would like you to differentiate for us a little bit on what are actually the dangers of breathing through the mouth, because I don't think people actually know that it's dangerous to fall into mm -hmm. that pattern either by um, just letting a habit form, or as you said, with so many other aspects of structural changes so but what are what are some of the things that are not okay to allow mouth breathing to go on well if you think about the way our entire nervous system is set up uh, we were born to breathe through our nose that brings the oxygen first to our brain it allows our brain to sense the air and know that we're safe when we open our mouth, usually it has been because we've been in danger and it's a sympathetic response. We want to run away from whatever is endangering, endangering us and we need lots of air, oxygen and air. And it's the minute you open your mouth and start mouth breathing, you become sympathetically activated, which yes. means you have stress hormones going through your body, cortisol, norepinephrine, all these things. Being in a chronically stressed state is not good for anybody. Mm. It's going to cause inflammation in your lungs and make you more prone to asthma and different inflammatory lung conditions. It'll produce more mucus. You'll have inflammatory bowel conditions because it, it just, it changes your entire physiology. On the other hand, breathing through our nose allows our body to do what it was designed to do, which is um, treat the air before it enters our body. Yes. So breathing in slowly allows the air to mix with the nitric oxide, mm. kill off any bacteria, viruses, fungus, warm the air, humidify it, slow it down. Um, and then, and 70% of the oxygen needs um, of our body come through our nose. So if we're not using our nose, we're not using the properties of the nitric oxide, which also are great for our entire vasculature, for our heart, 
our vessels um, and our endothelium so that our vessels can be responsive to blood pressure needs. There's just so much that when you start to look at the importance of the nose, you see that it's probably one of the most important senses um, and organs for our entire body. Um, so the, the mouth breathing, when you notice that it has to be corrected, it doesn't matter what age you are. As soon as when you notice it, work on changing it. For myself, um, my facial structure grew the way it did because I was mouth breathing. Mm. I had chronic earaches as a child. I was always sick, uh, always sore throats. You know, it affected the way that I grew. And then when I realized that at this stage in life, you know, a few years back, it took me about two to four months to get to the point where I could feel comfortable breathing through my nose. I always felt a little bit anxious, like I wasn't gonna get enough air. So I would tell people, if that's how you feel when you're starting to learn to keep your mouth closed, push your tongue up to the roof of your mouth. Let your tongue communicate to your brain by pushing up in that space. Mm. Close your lips, relax, relax your face, give your mouth a little bit of a smile just to relax and calm your nervous system and start focusing on breathing through your nose. And if at the beginning it feels difficult, don't say I can't and mm. give up difficult because you're retraining it so allow yourself the time that it takes to overcome this habit that may have been a lifelong habit for you and to overcome it and I would say to mothers make sure you're working on it for yourself because your children mirror your facial expressions mm. if you are a mouth breather they will become a mouth breather that's very interesting. And in fact, I must ask you on that note, Julia, because every um, gymnasium and trainer, physical trainer is telling everybody that you must breathe in and out through your mouth when you work out. So what are your thoughts about that? Because I hear this all the time. Um, I teach yoga also, and I hear them saying, but my gym instructor told me to breathe through my mouth and you're telling me I shouldn't breathe. What are your thoughts? Is it, um, do you, is there a reason that you feel they say that? Or is it, I personally, I don't think it's safe even to be doing that for an hour every day when you're out um, working on your body. But what are your thoughts? I think that breathing through your mouth is a cheat and breathing through your nose allows you to have a better exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen. So, you know, in medicine, we call it PEEP or respiratory pressure. And the way that you have that is by providing resistance. So we would sometimes get people to purse their lips, hold their lips tight so that the air can't just come out, can't just fall out. You yeah. don't wanna be just you know, sucking in air and letting the air fall out. You're going to become acidic. It's gonna change your whole uh, pH balance in your system. That's not what your muscles need. That's where you start to get the buildup of lactic acid and you have that pain after exercise. If you breathe through your nose and you work out at a level that allows you to breathe through your nose. So if you can't breathe through your nose, maybe you need to slow it down for a minute until you can, or you can hyper oxygenate by breathing quickly. 
through your nose, but always, always through your nose. It's going to change not only your mindset when you're exercising, your intention, uh, the effectiveness of your workout uh, is improved by allowing your brain and your nose to do what it was designed to do. So I think that's a mistake. And um, I think it's just because people don't know that there's actually, you know, in yoga, you would know. And actually a lot of our practices here are based on the, um, tell me how to say it properly. Pranayama. Pranami. Pranayama. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because they they've known for years when you when you breathe through your nose, you release serotonin, you release dopamine, you release um uh, all of these uh, endorphins, and it your performance is greatly enhanced yes. by breathing through your nose. So I would say that those people that are advising that are just like the doctors who have been advising treatment for many years. And that's what they knew to be correct at that time. They were basing it on the knowledge they had at the time. But I'm saying now that the science is coming out in record time, that we were wrong, we need to change what we were doing. If we were correct, would we be seeing the numbers of ADHD and autism go up? Or would we be seeing them improve? Would we be seeing the people with metabolic disease that and obesity getting better or worse, right? So we have right. to take a look at what are we missing for people because the, our society is not getting healthier. We're getting sicker. Yes. So absolutely. clearly the way we've been doing things yes. is not correct, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Julia, we don't have much time together. So I want to make sure I get some last few takeaways from you. Now, once you assess somebody's airway health, and you might have found that they have to, there is a connection between their poor quality of sleep and something in their structure or their breathing. How would you actually start advising them to work in a way where they can restore their sleep? Mm -hmm. First thing we work on is the nose. So if your nose is not functioning, um, we need to get it working. So we will test for a sneeze reflex. We'll use a Q-tip or a Kleenex just oh. up inside the nose and see if we can <laughs> lift it a sneeze. Um, we use some essential oils ah. up to the back of the nose on each side. We want to get the olfactory nerve open and awake. Uh, so we, we do that until we know that the nose is functioning. Then we start to tape the mouth to get the person to be much more aware of breathing through their nose. So while they go about their daily activities, we want them to have their mouth taped so that they can easily open it if they need to. So and you don't, uh, you begin by doing this during the day, I'm assuming, especially yes. for children, because I would be scared to tape my son's mouth at night right away. Um, but yes. this is the first time I've heard of somebody mentioning this because most of the places I've heard people jump into telling even children start mouth taping at night. And I've actually found that a scary thought to do that for my child. So uh, this is very good advice. Yeah, you can't send somebody to bed with their mouth taped until you're sure that they yes. are effective with their nasal breathing. Yes. So we turn on the nose first and get, even with the CPAP, if somebody's using a CPAP, 
we get them to use it during the day, play with it during the day, right? Get comfortable during the day before yes. we set them off to try to have a sleep with it. Uh, and I must share an interesting thing, Julia, because you mentioned we uh, do the sneeze reflux. And um, in um, my grandmother's times, when somebody was a bit stuffed up, they would heat a pot on the stove and put a few whole peppers. And when it started heating, it would irritate the nose and they would be forced to sneeze. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And you know what I order for my clients is Nasaya oil. Ah. Mm. Um, as like a, a balm and to moisturize the nose, especially over here with the um, the forced air dry heat that we have right. in the wintertime here. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, I think that our grandparents, they, they knew what was going on intuitively. Yes. And uh, if we go back to some of those old, old practices, they knew what they were doing. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, great conversation, Julia. I just want to ask you our two final questions. The, and the first is that since there's so many people with diagnosed sleep conditions and so many more who don't have a diagnosis, but who are not sleeping great. Um, and there are so many of us now who I call the sleep soul sisters, the sleep warriors. So that's a great tribe that we're building for this whole earth. Um, but what do you think is the biggest reason for poor sleep? The invention of the light bulb. Mm. I, I was, was actually, I was, I was expecting you to say airway health, but. <laughs> but the thing is, airway health has been impacted by that. Yes. Because when we affected our circadian rhythm mm. um, and when we started working outside of the norms of the sunrise and sunset, started going indoors, we became vitamin D deficient. Right which impacted our sleep, which impacted the babies that developed, uh, which impacted, uh, you know, the food that we gave to, I mean, just, it, it created this whole cascade of events. I actually sat down at one point and created a timeline through history of what has been the triggering point for so much of what we see today. And that's what it basically came back to. And the invention of the light bulb and the invention of sunscreen happened very closely together. Yes. At a time where women were forced into the workplace instead of out in their gardens and feeding their children healthy food. And we started having processed food and it, it created this whole cascade of events. So I would say that that's probably what's triggered a lot of what we see today. And I must add to that, Julia, that in India, there is such a large population which is um, focused on uh, um, fairness creams, lightening the skin, which is all linked to vitamin D status. And this trend is actually not changing in a large way, even though there's a lot of advocacy for the beauty of dusky skin. Yes. I actually still see a large number of people buying lightening creams and going for skin lightening treatments. Um, so I'm assuming... Well, all about that. 
I'm what's sad about that is over here we're out laying in the sun trying to I, I mean know, it's as in, white as can be and I'm trying to get color I want I to get know. it's like the, truly the grass is always green on the <laughs> other side so um okay I'm not going to let you go without finishing our sleep is but a mantra if sleep is the new medicine then how would you put your spin on that If sleep is the new medicine, then oxygen is the number one drug. Wow, that's a brilliant, brilliant mantra to take away at the end of this episode. Julia, thank you so much for giving me your time today. I truly appreciate you taking time out for us. And it was a great episode for our listeners. And me personally, Julia, I think you've really touched some chord as um, my pained mother's heart and my worry has it feels a bit soothed today after talking to you um yeah. but we shall definitely catch up in chennai on that trip that is due for you yes yes we shall um, build our sleep tribe going forward thank you julia thank you so thank much you. thank you so much for what you're doing this is awesome thank you Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle. that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding if you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro it is important that you have someone who's qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health conditions Thank you.